Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. The last two weeks have featured parts one and two of my interview with Father Joseph Thom of the Legionnaires of Christ, family physician and professor of bioethics at Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University in Rome. I spoke to Father Tom regarding the secularization of bioethics and did so following my shows discussing in vitro fertilization, IVF, which is a notable example of where secularized situational bioethics has led. Secularization has brought us contraception, abortion, IVF, embryonic stem cell research, sale of baby body parts, and human cloning, just to mention a few of the heinous applications of secular, utilitarian, relativistic, and nihilistic bioethics. Father Tom has noted that secularized bioethics has been a disaster, not only with respect to reproductive health care, but to health care in general and, indeed, to Western civilization. I have also read excerpts from Father Tom's excellent paper, The Secularization of Bioethics, which reviewed its modern roots in the so-called Age of Enlightenment of the 18th century. The major themes of the Enlightenment, and which continue today, are human reason, individualism, and skepticism, as well as the marginalization or outright rejection of religion as manifested in the French Revolution, and which also continues today. This cultural milieu ushered in an age of secularism in the West, which included the field of medicine and bioethics. Religion continued to be marginalized with respect to medicine and culture, and this process was accelerated by the vituperative rebellion against the encyclical Humanae Vitae of 1968, which emphasized the eternal truths manifested by natural law. Humanae Vitae was a stalwart sign of contradiction to the relativism of the so-called Age of Enlightenment. Today you will hear part three of my conversation with Father Tham, as he further discusses the historical roots of secularization, of bioethics, and how, far from being a natural evolution of society away from religion, 
It is a purposeful agenda of opposition of secularists toward religion and the unleashing of the dictatorship of relativism, which always ends in nihilism and which threatens to destroy both the field of medicine and all of Western culture. We will address the need for an unabashed return of faith and reason to the field of bioethics. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer. Prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy. Prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says to us, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, what can be done to make it salty once again? It is no longer good for anything, and thus it is cast out and trampled underfoot. Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 to 17 warns, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either hot or cold. As it is, since you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have everything I want, never realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. O God, only your word is true salt of the earth. When salt has lost its taste, it is like lukewarm water to be spit out. Help us to understand that ethics, including medical ethics, needs faith and reason to bring true salt and transcendent flavor to bioethics and the profession of medicine. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now here is part three of my conversation with Father Joseph Tom. Yeah, we've, we've gotten away from the whole notion of intrinsically evil and saying things like, the ends don't justify the means. We've gotten away from that fact. I remember you, you made reference to... Uh, Joseph Fletcher was a relativist uh, in the 1960s. He was required reading when I went to Holy Cross. You know, Thomas Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas wasn't, you know, required reading, but Joseph Fletcher was, and he he turned ethics on its head. He said, uh, "Well, it's not that the ends just the ends don't justify the means." He would say, "Only the ends justify the means." Can you say a little bit more about that? Something in the case of Joseph Fletcher, I also wrote about like. Personalities. A lot of new people started asking quite religious. Like Joseph Fletcher was an Episcopalian priest, actually. Right. And then he basically, once he became involved in leftist, um, he also left 
Christian, as a, as a great dish. And then later on, at the end of the flight, we came away. So I also documented that uh, Sacramentation is also something very personal. A lot of people also lost the religion in the process. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not just a theory, but it's also people who basically have so it's like uh, he was the embodiment of uh, relativism leading to atheism. You know, as you say, he Joseph Fletcher started as an Episcopalian priest and ended up an atheist, basically. The other thing in connection with that, you, you'd you made reference to um, Aldous Huxley's uh, Brave New World, and then you said that uh, Brave New World is eerily descriptive of our own world in 2022. Yeah, I mean, if you've read this, uh, this fiction or science fiction, you can see that um, a lot of things that was opposed then as something preposterous now is something that is happening. For example, in that, where this perception is just this engine is unconscious perception, right? In, in so the production is somehow artificial. Obviously, we didn't get to that stage, but basically, uh, everyone is a designer baby. Once again, after you live to a certain age, a full, healthy life, uh, you get euthanized. You were you were mentioning um, before that we in the West have become more secularized with respect to uh, bioethics, and then you said that that's actually the minority. That that kind of struck me. Where um, can you mention other cultures where that's not the case? Where where religion yeah, is... I mean, for example, uh, India can mm-hmm. be more religious, right, and less religious. In other places like Africa, mm-hmm. religion is meaning. You talk about the fact that um, religion is making, starting to make a comeback in in terms of uh, its influence on on bioethics. I like the quote you had from uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the uh, Galaxy. That quote was, religion, after all, deals with life, death, and the meaning of everything. Part of religion's continuing appeal is that it is a powerful maker of meaning when things go awry, when babies are deformed, when couples prove uh, to be infertile, when people die too young. Please say more about that, and also uh, the fact that the uh, yeah, the question um, of God. I think I was very optimistic way back when I was. <laughs> oh, <that> that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, in some way, uh, what I what I do see is that in secular politics, um, they cannot address a lot of these more deep issues, right? So mm. basically, the question of human suffering, about uh, prolonging life. Why do you want to live forever? Why do you want to, I mean, end your life soon? Where, when does life begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the meaning of human suffering? Especially now, like, recently with COVID, there's a lot more questions that traditional or called secular politics is not able to answer. Right, so, exactly. Um, but this is exactly uh, the questions that uh, religion uh, in general, Catholicism in particular, has confronted over like two millennia. Yes. So uh, I think it is very important. It's, it's actually a, a space for uh, religious politics to come back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you see that 
um, we see that a bit also in terms of uh, publications. There are more questions that are more related to meaning. Okay, they may not call it religion, but at least spirituality. At least realizing that secular violence can only talk about two things: basically about safety, uh, and they talk about justice. I mean, those are the two main yes, things about yeah. it. Like, is this fair? And is this safe? And that's it. That's the end of it. Right. For everything. Yeah. And everything else becomes like a personal choice. That's so right. Basically, um, it becomes very, very they call thin, right? Thin biotics. And so basically, there are also voices asking the deeper questions, like, should we do this or not? Right. For example, now I'm involved a little bit more on uh, the recent dates on uh, genetic uh, modification, mm-hmm. uh, genetic editing. Uh, but then, that's the same question. They only ask about, can we have this safely? Can right. everybody have access to this? Without discriminating? I mean, that's, those are me. A very elemental question, but then you're asking, you should ask questions, should we be doing this? Should yes. we be changing the genetic code of humanity? Is this the right thing to do? Do we really want this? Why do we want to do this? What is enhancement? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be perfect? Right? What does it mean to be a superior person? And in some way, like superiority or a more perfect person, does not mean that you're a better person? It could mean that. And you, you could be stronger, better looking, live longer, or resistant diseases. But if you are not a good person, that would mean that you become a tyrant. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. not what you want, right? It's mm-hmm. what society wants. I mean, those are deeper questions that I think biotics, especially today, needs to address as technology become more advanced and we can do much more, more good things, but also more damages. Uh, yeah. To, Yeah, I really resonate with uh, what you said about in our secular circles, we're concerned about uh, safety and autonomy, and and ain't that the truth? When I first started out practicing, there was more talk about, you know, what people should do and what's the right thing to do. And then before you know it, we're just talking about safety. We're talking about uh, bicycle helmets and being safe, and we're talking about seat belts, you know, which are important. But there's a huge emphasis on that, and of course, safe sex, not virtuous sex, or um, right. what what is health, good and healthy sexual morality, but, right. you know, safe right. sex. So hopefully that will start to come back. But um, as we wrap up, is there... Any uh, concluding thoughts uh, that you might have? Can I do a plug-in? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, by all means, and, throw in, and, <laughs> throw in a plug. Actually, basically on this, because after COVID, realized, I, I realized that okay, one of the topics that I not talked about is question about uh, human suffering, Yes. Um, about mortality and immortality. So mm. This is our summer course. So we want to confront these issues. Uh, more theological, but I think these are important questions in in bioethics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to approach it from a more, I guess, substantial, thicker view of bioethics, and so that's what we are planning to do. And the other thing that I, I do a lot um, is interreligious dialogue. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another area. It's a little bit more secular because secular. Others can accept the fact that, okay, there are different 
nutrients and nutrients input to biotics. We're not just talking about Catholicism, but all the other Right, right. So basically, that your eye also become involved in the last 10 years mm-hmm. um, to look at what are the possible religious contributions to biotics and what are the areas of uh, commonality or convergence mm. amongst different religions. We need to work together so to bring uh, the spirituality and all these deeper questions back into biotics, and that's what I've been also involved mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit uh, in the last few years. Uh, how can people find out more about that? Is there a web website that they can uh, go to? Yeah, the website uh, that I'm involved in is the Interreligious Dialogue is UNESCO Biochair.org. And then you can look under different activities we do there. And then the other thing is uh, the School of Biotech in Rome, Regina Postronorum, which mm-hmm. is where I teach. Mm-hmm. And then we offer uh, different uh, formation courses in English and also in Italian. So the first one was... Google that, I guess. <laughs> the first one was UNESCO Bio... Bio Chair. Bio Chair. UNESCO Chair in Biotech and Human Rights. So UNESCO Biochair.org. All right, and the other thing is um, they can probably just Google the uh, Regina Apostolorum. One more time, U-P-R-A. Great. Well, thank you so much, Father Joseph, for taking the time uh, all the way from uh, Rome. Hope you have a good evening where you are. Yes, thank you very much, Mark, for the interview, and uh, have a good day, too. Thank you very much. This concludes my interview with Father Joseph Tom. Please check out the websites that Father Tom mentioned, UNESCOBioChair.org, which deals with global bioethics and human rights, and the website of Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University, which is UPRA.org. The inadequacy of secular bioethics calls for a re-examination of the possible contributions of religion and theology to the field of bioethics, as Father Tom argues in his paper, The Secularization of Bioethics. He continues, Much has been written on the subject in the last decade as witnessed by a cursory search of the bioethics literature of the last 50 years. In terms of content, religion can provide the historical nexus that is shared by a majority of the society by furnishing symbols and narratives that everyone can understand, even if they no longer practice their faith. Religion can also provide the ends or telos of human existence, giving meaning to human nature, the good life, suffering and death, health, and the ends of medicine. Religious communities can offer bioethics a model of unity in diversity and a covenant model of health care. They can take on a prophetic witness of justice, emphasize the importance of virtues of holiness in the providers, and give testimonies of caring and self-sacrifice in medicine. As an aside, I might add that Hippocrates reflected this ethic 
in the Hippocratic Oath when he said, I will neither give a deadly drug to a patient even if asked, nor will I suggest such a thing. Similarly, I will not give to a woman an abortive remedy. In purity and holiness, I will guard my life and my art. Secular, utilitarian, relativistic, and nihilistic bioethics has nothing to say about purity and holiness. Only the transcendent one can. Back to Father Tom in his paper, The Secularization of Bioethics. In terms of methodology, the debate has centered on whether it is possible or even desirable to translate theological language into secular one. While it may be true that content, community, and methodology can be replaced by some secular counterparts, it is only organized religion with its structures and convictions that can make a consistent, substantive, and serious proposal to bioethics. Hence, a ray of hope appears on the horizon for religion to reinsert itself into the bioethical debate, which has become impoverished by its absence. Nevertheless, the challenge is great for churches and believers to make such a difference. Theology must reclaim orthodoxy without compromising with secularism. The religiously inspired academics need to rediscover their original inspiration and search for truth through faith combined with reason. It would mean a re-examination of the much-ignored themes of virtues and justice, spirituality and obedience, and sin and holiness in morality and in bioethics. Father Richard Newhouse, president of the Institute on Religion and Public Life and editor-in-chief of First Things, a monthly journal of religion and public life, once remarked in this context that successful revolutions are vulnerable to and sometimes provoke counter-revolutions. What we need today, therefore, are counter-revolutionaries who are not afraid to speak out and engage the secular world of bioethics in unequivocal terms, using sound philosophical reasoning, and, why not, even unabashed theological insights. Elsewhere, Father Tom has written about Dr. Leon Cass, physician, scientist, and educator, who had this amusing story to tell. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your pilot speaking. We are flying at an altitude of 35,000 feet and a speed of 700 miles an hour. I have two pieces of news to report. One good, one bad. The bad news is we are lost. The good news is we are making very good time. Here, Dr. Cass was trying to point out how contemporary bioethics has been obsessed with the wrong questions. For instance, if we look at the debate on euthanasia, the issues raised are invariably centered on patients' rights and autonomy against those of physicians. 
or they frequently become quality-of-life measurements and legal concerns. Very rarely do we find deliberations on the nature of human suffering, the meaning of life and death, and the questions of immortality, all of which are interestingly religious queries. What added value could religion bring to contemporary bioethics, asks Father Tom. Religion continues to provoke the historical nexus to a rich tradition of medical ethics. Religious narratives on creation, idolatry, human nature, dominion, suffering, aging, sin, death and salvation may just proffer such a tradition by addressing the questions on the meaning and purpose of life with definite implications for bioethics. The prophetic task of religion can remind society of the weightier questions of the common good, justice, care for the poor, and the voiceless. The earlier anecdote of the plane ride reminds me of another experience related to Father Thom. Flight attendants have different reactions when they see me dressed in a Roman collar entering the vessel. Most of them are cordial, and not a few times they give a sigh of relief, commenting that they should be safe now that a priest is on board. Once I could not resist the remark, well, I can't guarantee anything, but one thing is for sure. If something happens to us, we are closer to the heavens here than we are when we are on the ground. Therefore, there is great hope that religion can bring us an additional perspective to secular bioethics, offering a viewpoint from above and can point us to our true home and eternal destiny. Speaking as a Catholic physician, I would add that medicine needs to reclaim its position as a profession rather than a business. We need to return from a merely contractual doctor-patient relationship to a covenant doctor-patient relationship. Such a relationship requires oath-taking, and oaths are made to a higher power about which secular bioethics has nothing to say and must defer to the transcendent God. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. 
You may contact him at markrolo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.